You're listening to the Marathon Church Podcast. We exist to build communities that love Jesus, love people, and live on purpose. To learn more about Marathon Church, visit MarathonChurch.org. We hope that this encourages you and builds your faith. Enjoy this week's message. Hello, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Good to see you online there. You might be at your couch. You know, that's probably good with coffee. We wish we were there sometimes to have some coffee. I love coffee in the morning. But so welcome to have you today. If you're here today, so awesome to see you, smile, your smiling faces. My name's Brian Cox. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I have the opportunity to really share with you uh, an incredible subject. And what we've been talking about the last few weeks is this series, Ghost Town. And what we found out is those things in life, those people, those places they, that we thought would fulfill us, you know, we found out over time, some of us, that it did not, that it did not complete us. And it left us what we're calling and led us to a place we're calling Ghost Town, a very hollow, you know, empty place. And I'm sure a lot of you can relate to that today. You've tried, especially us older folks, we've tried a lot of things. And we found out that, oh, no, that didn't work. So what do we do? So in, in our lives, we, we begin to do these things. We talk about money. We talk about greed. We talk about relationships. Uh, I think next week we're going to be talking about achievements, success, and those things where basically we would call them an idol, okay? And we had a great definition, Pastor Eddie said the other day, and it was this. It said, an idol is anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Say it again. An idol is anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. We seek those things to fulfill us. And it's, and it's very easy to do. You know, I'm not saying that achievement is bad. Money's not bad. But we try to fill those things. We try to let it take the place of God. And I'm going to talk about an idol today that I believe is the worst of them all. Okay? It, I mean, it is, it, in my opinion, the worst idol of all of them. In fact, if you got all the idols together and you had a costume contest... This idol would win, okay? How many of you like to dress up at Halloween? Oh, come on. Somebody's going to. They're like, I'm afraid to raise my hand in church. We, we all, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, hey, go out and we're preaching Halloween. That's not what I'm saying. But I said, I know a lot of people love to dress up. They love to do that. When I was a kid, I loved to do that. I'm going to tell you a story about it in a minute. But what I thought I would do just to kind of have some fun this morning was, you know, I looked around the internet and I found the best costumes, worst costumes that I could find. Boy, there's some. Man. I want to see what you thought of some of these, okay? This is Spider-Man. I was so amazed by this, by the way. If you really look at the details, uh, this man's committed, okay, because he's got the shoes. He's got a mini-me. Look. With the belly and everything. That's commitment, is it not? And then, uh, let's see. Oh, this is the lazy Halloween. 
you go to Walgreens, $10, you got to, what they call these the snugglies or snuggles or whatever? Snuggies. Thank you very much. I did not know that. You don't even have to get up, you know, just enjoy that. Now, this one I thought was sweet. It's a little girl trying to be grandma. Isn't that just adorable? Yeah. Oh, Lord. Y'all remember Bert and Ernie? This is the Friday the 13th version of Bert and Ernie. I mean, that is scary. Okay. And then I called these the COVID pumpkins. You know, they're okay. They can go anywhere. They're protected, right? And now this one, I'm going to warn you. Okay. I don't know this person. Okay. But again, they were very committed to doing this right. Okay. The Kool-Aid man. I can tell you're very offended at this point. Oh my gosh, it's up there. I'm going to change it real quick. Come on. Sorry about that. But I don't know how long it took to paint that. I guess that was spray paint. I don't know. And you're like, what in the world's going on here? Some of you are new here and you're going, this guy's lost it. Well, I'm saying that to say, if you got the idols together and they had a costume contest, this idol would win. Okay? It is the worst. It is dressed up. And we talked about all those other idols, you know, money and stuff like that. And those kind of portray, they look like God. They kind of try to replace God in some ways. But this idol says, I am God. It says, I am God. And I'm calling to you. Come to me. I'll I'll show you the Father. I'll show you how Jesus is. Come to me. I'll show you the way. It's very scary. In fact, there was a book I read a few years ago. It said, How to Kill 11 Million People. It's about the Holocaust. Yeah, I'm not spoiling it for you. He says it right off the bat. You just lie to them. You just lie to them. That's scary. Okay? This idol is not just a lie. It's the biggest lie. It's the lie that's causing millions of people to walk away from Christ, to walk away from God. Because they see God as this when he's not. They're, they're seeing an image of God that's distorted. They're seeing a costume that's not real. And it's a scary thing. So what I want to do today, I want to do two things for you today. Okay? First, I want to expose the lie of this idol. I guess I need to tell you what it is, right? The idol we're talking about today is... Religion. Wow, that sounds like an exciting subject. Religion. I want to help expose that as a lie. That religion is not what we think it is. That it is not the image of God. And then I want to point us to the second thing. The true living God. What he is really like. Who he really is. So, let's start. Religion dresses up like God, but it's nothing like God, okay? It dresses up like God, it's nothing like him. I'll give you an example, okay? This is going to go way back in my, I've been around a while, a few years. I was eight years old, and I loved dressing up at Halloween, okay? Because we had a candy contest at school. 
and we'll see who gets the most candy. So I found this outfit. And before I tell you that, I went searching on the Internet trying to find this outfit because I didn't have one. No, no, now. Let, let me back up. Let me back up. Let me, let me start over since we got this man over here who won't speak to me. Hey, will you take? No, I'm kidding. Let me back up. No internet at eight years old. Great, I, I get that. So as I'm putting the message together and putting these costumes on here, I said, I wonder if I could find a costume that I wore when I was eight years old that looked like this one. How you think? You like that, Eddie? Okay. And so as I was looking, I'm looking at these 1970s, because I was eight years old in the 70s, okay? Some of you are like, good not. He's old. Um, I found this. Remember the Planet of the Apes? You remember these masks? And they would paint your hair? Some of you guys are like, we don't do that. Planet of the Apes, great movie. I grew up with it. Okay. No lie. This is the costume, the exact costume. It's not me. It's a replica. Okay. Okay, just so you know. This is the exact costume that I wore when I was eight years old. I could not believe I found it. And I loved this costume. I didn't really know who Tin Man was at the time. The only reason I liked it was because it had a really shiny mask. And it's, I mean, it just, I glowed when I put it on. So I had this costume, and I said, I can't wait to Halloween because I'm going to wear this costume. Well, Halloween came, and it was pouring raining. I mean, so bad. I mean, nobody could see. So everybody was like, we can't trick or treat. I'm like, oh, no. I'm so devastated. My sweet mother, she says, well, come go with me. We got in our 70s green Plymouth. Yeah, love that car. And she drove me from house to house. And I would run to the door and get trick-or-treat and run back, soaking wet, and I'd run again in my little outfit. I had the most candy of anybody because everybody stayed home. I thought that was just an awesome thing. So why am I sharing that, okay? Well, you know, religion is very similar. We tend to pick what we like, what is shiny, what is working for me. Baptist may work for you. Presbyterian may work for you. Methodist may work for you. Non-denominational. I have none at all may work for you. But we tend to go for that thing we think will fulfill us, that shiny thing. And we get the wrong image of God. Now, don't get me wrong, and I know I'm probably going to get called out for saying all these denominations. I'm just saying that's not God. God is not a denomination. That's religion. He's much more. And I'll say this. Religion tells us about God, but it keeps us from being with God. See, that, that's the mistake we have. I love church. I love it. I, I do. I grew up just like most people in church. I went to training union. I did everything, Sunday school. I did it all. It told me a lot about God. But something I, f I figured out later in life, that it's not God. Those are good things. But it keeps me from being with God, which God did everything in his power to be with you and to be with me.
He didn't come so we could have a great building. He came that we could have church with him. It's a little confusing. It can be. So I want to I help explain some of that to you with the stories of Jesus in a minute. Just a second. I want to give you one more. Whoops. Oh, I got ahead. Sorry. Back, back, back. Okay. Sorry. I got a lot of stuff to tell you today. So I'm just, just hanging there with me, okay? Hang in there. I'll give you an example of what I mean by being with God. My little girl, Lily, I asked her, I said, how would you feel if somebody told you in order to have a relationship with me, your father, that you would have to read this book, you'd have to do this, do this, jump through the hoops and all this. How would you feel if somebody told you that? She said, I would be angry. I, don't, I wouldn't want to do that. I just want to be with you. See, religion tries to give us all these things that keep us from being with God, but keep us from knowing who God is like. A lot of us in this room don't know who he really is. We assume we know him because we're in here today, and we sang some great songs, which was awesome, and we met some great people. But do we know who God is? So I want to share a story with you. But first of all, I want to set it up like this, okay? There's two groups of people that Jesus is talking to. And this is an incredible story. You've probably heard some of this before if you've been in church. But there's two groups of people he's going to talk about. One group feels like nobody cares about them. There's no way they could be approved by God. They have no, there's no way. The other group feels like they're already good enough for God. Okay, they've already made it. They've arrived. Okay, so we're going to read what Jesus has had to tell. He wants to tell them, hey, this is what, Je this is what I'm really like, but you won't understand it. So I'm going to give you a parable. Okay, I love parables. That's how Jesus helped them understand who he really was. And we're going to use his words today to help us understand who Jesus really is. Okay, all right, here we go. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, if you just stop right there, this is awesome. Imagine all these people sitting around Jesus. If you didn't know, tax collectors were like the multi-level farmers of the day. They, were, they kind of, you know, created this business, and, you know, everybody at the top gets the money. Everybody else don't at the bottom, but they're the ones making the money. They give Rome their share, and then they keep all the money. They were so bad that they didn't even include them with the sinners. Do you see that? They said tax collectors. They didn't want to offend the sinners. <laughs> Isn't that great? We're all gathered around to hear Jesus. So the sinners are these people. We'll put on the front row right here. Sinners, I'm sorry. Eddie, you're on the front row. Sinners, right here. Those are the people... And I'm just kidding, okay? Those are the people that felt like, you know, God could never love them. He, he doesn't approve of my occupation. He doesn't approve of my lifestyle. That, you know, I'm immoral. I, I'm, just, I'm just a bad person. But they're here to hear Jesus, which is awesome. And then you got the other group of people. They're sitting in the back. No offense to you in the back, Okay. But the Pharisees, back here, 
And the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? As is, he welcomes them, he embraces them, as is, he goes out to eat with them after church, you know, or he, he eats with them. Back then, they didn't have restaurants, so they just went to their house. It was a very intimate thing. He goes to their house. And they couldn't understand, why does Jesus, now this is, listen to this, all the people down here that were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. Pharisees couldn't understand that. And they couldn't understand how Jesus, that was nothing like them, liked them. <laughs> Isn't that cool? What is going on? It's confusing to the to Pharisees and leaders because they, they were the representation of God. They've been representing God for years. This is what God looks like. And so these people thought there was no hope for them. So Jesus has this tension going on. Okay, he's like, I got religious leaders, and I got the grace, okay? Look at it this way. Grace and truth. Grace and truth. Jesus embodies both of those. We're going to learn. So it can get confusing. What is real? What is good? What is bad? And here's what they were asking. Does he condone their behavior? Does he condone that they're sleeping around, condone that they're taking money that's not theirs? Does he condone their lifestyle? This is what the religious, does it sound familiar in some ways? The religious tone, the angry tone, the religious tone. So, here's what he says. He tells the first story. This is so good. This is Jesus. He was a master communicator. He knew how can I, he said, I can't tell them exactly what it really is. I have to tell them in the story so they will understand who I really am. They'll understand who God really is, okay? And he says this, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. He starts with a common thing we all understand. When you lose something, it's painful, is it not? You ever lost your phone? Everybody in this room has lost their phone, okay? And you get mad, right? You don't get mad at the phone. You don't get mad at lost things. You just get mad. And he, he started off with that common thing. He said, and then when you find it, do you not tell everybody you found it? Guess what? I found my phone. And Cassie's around beeping all the time because she can't find her. So she's got this little thing on her watch. She's just doing this. That's what Jesus needs, right? There's a lost person. Beep, beep. That's made that up. He said, and don't you, when you find it, you're so excited that you found it. See, what he's saying to them, he says, you see, God, that's what God's like. You see? He's more excited about finding the lost one than he is about the 99 that stayed. That's who God is. Is that not just amazing? And he goes on. He's going to tell another story. Now, we got... At least another hour. Okay. I want to tell you the, the next story Jesus told. And I'll try to get through it quickly. But I think it's very important. Because, see, what we're hearing today is the words of Jesus Christ. Describing to us. This is what's so magnificent, so amazing about this moment. He is telling us who he is. He is telling you today who I am. You thought you knew. Because you came into church. 
but he's going to tell you who he really is. So there's a story. He said there were two sons, okay? They were older son and the younger son. The older son was the behavior. How many older sons we got out here? I know you're not a behavior. Anyway, I'm kidding. And the younger son was the misbehavior. I'm the younger son. Eddie's, <laughs> that's not true. But he said, you got this behavior guy and you got the misbehavior. So I'm going to help set this up for you. To make, hope you, you can kind of get the emotion of the moment that's happening as Jesus speaks to the front row and to the back row, okay? He puts, I'm just going to put it like this, okay? He's making this up as he goes along, so I'm just going to put a little something on it to make you understand it. He said, the younger son came to his father and he said, Dad, I wish you'd just go ahead and die, okay? Or at least pretend to die so I can get my inheritance. And you could have heard a pin drop, I bet. They could not believe what he just said. Again, both groups nodding in agreement. These groups have never agreed on anything before, but they're agreeing. Yeah, you're right. That's bad. He shouldn't have done that. He said, just give me mine. I want it now. You're not going to die. You look really good. Okay, I need my, I want my stuff. Okay. So Jesus surprises them again. He says, well, the father looked at his son and he said, okay. So he goes and he sells stuff and he trades stuff, does whatever he has to do to get the inheritance to his son and he gives it to his son. Then the younger son, he stays around for a while, spending his money, I imagine, living it up. And he said, you know, I'm getting kind of tired of all you folks. I'm tired of seeing my family all the time. So I'm going to go somewhere nobody knows me. I'm going to go far away so I can do anything I want without anybody seeing me. And he goes to another town. And the Bible says a lavish, extravagant spender. You know any of those? <laughs> okay. And he just spends all his money to the point he has nothing left. And then Jesus even makes it even worse. He said, and then a famine came. And the son was completely out of money, completely out of anything. No friends, no money, nothing all alone. So he had to get a job. And he'd get a job, and he probably got fired from that job, and he had to get another job. And finally, he got a job tending to the pigs, dreaming about eating their slop. And you could hear probably the cheers in the crowd at that moment. They're like, yes, the son finally got what he deserved. What he did to his father, that's exactly where he needs to be, is in that pig stall eating slop. And I bet if Jesus stopped right there in the story, everybody would have went home and told their kids, I love this. All right, son, daughter, if you disobey me, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be in the pig sty. Okay? Don't disobey me. And I, another thing you can assume from that is that that's what God's like, Right? If you disobey God and you do God wrong, you're going to reap what you sow. What comes around goes around. You're going to get it. 
And that's why the, both groups are like, well, yeah, we understand that. The, the grace people say, yeah, we know we're bad. <laughs> we know how it goes. The, the truth people or the leaders or religious leaders are like, yeah, you're going to get it. God's going to get you. And so Jesus has got him again, thinking that this is what I am. But his story doesn't end there. He keeps going. Okay? And here's what happened. When the younger son, when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? Okay? I set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. He realizes that he has sinned. This is, he's not a mistaker. He's a sinner. Okay? It's his fault. He did this. Okay? We can relate, probably. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. And this is really cool. He said, so he got up and went to his father. And I bet you then the crowd was like, oh, yeah. We just thought it was good when he was in the pigsty. Now he's going home. Now he's really going to get it. When his father sees him, he's really going to get it. He's going to get what's coming to him. And, but while, okay, we're going we're to see who God really is in a minute, okay? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with, I'm getting some answers. I didn't know I'd do that. If you would ask that crowd that day, the, the sinners, tax collectors, and the religious people, what do you think they would say? Anger. They would be mad. And they have a right to be mad. Look what he did to my father. Look what he did to that guy. I mean, wouldn't you have the right to be mad if somebody did that to you? To your family? If my brother Eddie did that to my daddy, I'd go beat him up. In love. Anger. That's the natural thing. And so they, they, they thought they understood. But then Jesus does this. He said, he was filled with compassion for him. And the religious leaders were like, what? How is that possible? You see, when Jesus told these stories, usually one person was representing God in the story. And I, I guess they assumed that the Father was God. So how could the God, who is the God of truth, have compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. What a, what a scene. Ran to him and kissed him. His dirty, stinking son. That's a great, great thing that God is showing us there, his compassion and his love. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he is right. He's right. I would agree with that statement. I would agree we are no longer worthy. We aren't worthy. It doesn't matter, though. Jesus made us worthy because of what he did for us. But Father said to his servants, quick, and I want to emphasize quick. See, here's what, we, what happens to us sometimes when people come back to God. We try to put the religion on them. 
We try to put the, you know, the mask on them. We put the, the you know, here's, here's what you have to wear. Here's what you have to be. You know, you have to be this person. They, they didn't wait. They went ahead. And it's funny I said that. They put the best robe on him. He said, put a robe on him, put a ring on him, and sandals on his feet. He said, right now, I, my son is home. Right now, I want him to know that. I want him to understand he is home, and I love him. And he said, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast, and let's celebrate. Now, if you've been in Sunday school all your life or you've heard this story before, that's where the story ends, usually. And we celebrate. God loves us. He loves the lost. But I want to take it another, another step. You remember there were two sons? The behavior and the misbehavior. Now, the behavior, he was out in the field doing what he's supposed to do, okay? He's working in the field. And he comes up, he comes up over the hill, and he sees all this commotion. It's like all this dust, all these people going to the house. He sees Frank with the wagon pulling the fatted calf. He said, who killed the fatted calf? Who would have done that? That's my calf. That's for my wedding. What's going on? And as he's seeing all this happen, his servant comes down the hill, and he said, listen, i got to tell you something. Your brother's home. He's like, oh, really? Really? I figured I'd see him on that wagon or see that calf. So what do I do? He said, Father wants you to come back. He wants you to come in. He wants you to come see him. He didn't want to do that. In fact, it says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. Became angry. Let me just stop here and ask you this. Have you ever seen any angry Christians? There's a lot of them. Okay. You see any angry preachers? Hopefully I don't seem angry today. You see any angry religious people? I think we see that all the time. I think it's a scary thing because that's the way the world sees who we are sometimes. They see us as a religion. They see us as a religion, y'all. Not as Jesus and who he really is. They see us as a religion. And he goes on. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. He pleaded with him and said, son, please come in. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. I've been to church every Sunday. I've done everything you needed me to do. I've done it all. You never even gave me a goat. You never gave me anything so I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours squandered your property with prostitutes, don't tell mom, okay? Keep that a secret. Don't want her to know that. Comes home. You kill the fatted calf for him. He said, and I'm mad. I'm mad about it. And the father says this. He says, my son, you're always with me. You've always been with me. Why are you so mad? You've always been with me. He said, 
and everything I have is yours. Why are you so mad? You see, I got your brother over here that feels like, you know, he can't do anything wrong or anything right. And I got you over here that won't come in because you believe he can't do anything right. And he said, this party is not about doing good. This party is not about performance, y'all. This party is about proximity. It's about once your brother was gone and now he's home. He's with me. He's with you. And I'm like, is, is that who God is like? Is that what God wants from us? And he goes on this next one. And he says, but we had to celebrate, brother, son. We had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. Jesus said it's not about your performance. It's not about what you do. It's not about that. I don't care about that. But what I care about is that you're with me. Not here, but here. And there's a quote I want you to hear. It says, God cannot love you more. Nothing you do will cause him to love you less. And when you look people in the eyeball this week, when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go home, remember, God could not love them more. God could not love them any less. And see, God sees this group and that group. He sees them as grace and truth embodied together. And that what I think we need to get, if we will get this as a church, as Christians, if we will get away from the religion and look at who Jesus really is, I think this is who Jesus' heart is. Sin will break our hearts. See, when Jesus sees the lost, his heart is broken. He's not mad at lost things. He celebrates lost things. Repentance will stir our hearts. When, see, I think we've forgotten this as a church, as a Christian community. We've forgotten what this is. We don't, we, we don't break our hearts when we see somebody doing things they shouldn't be doing or we feel like living a life they shouldn't. We get mad. We put it on Facebook. What's wrong with them? It should break our heart. I'm talking to myself. It should break my heart when I see people that don't know God, when I see a world out there every day trying to get their answers through politics trying to get their answers, not in God, but in the other things that we talk, in the idols of this world, of men and money and relationships and all that stuff. It should break our hearts. Have we become so numb that we don't see the need for God around us? And when somebody comes home, we celebrate. We have a barbecue, I guess, instead of a goat. I want to talk, before we end, I want to just speak to the other group, this, this group 
I would call the sinners. Maybe, maybe you're watching out there. Maybe, I'll just say it this way, you're living in sin, probably. And I know that's very blunt, I guess. But you know where you are in your life. You know that you need to come home. You know that God is looking out for you. He's standing on the porch and he's looking, waiting for you. Whatever that looks like for you, however you get home, it may be from that religious background that you got to get away from. It may be from drugs you got to get away from. It may be from sleeping around. It may be that you just need to understand that God just wants you to be with him. Forget all that junk and come home. I want you to really consider that, whoever you are today. Because, see, I was once a prodigal. I grew up in a great home. I'm not saying that. It was bad. I grew up in that Baptist environment. When I grew up, I went away. Tried to do my own thing. And my mother, or she prayed me back in, and I didn't know God was going to put me right here as a pastor. I'm not sure what he was thinking, but that's the beauty of God. He knows what you need better than you do. He saw me when I was in the bars. He saw my potential years ago. He saw what he could do if I would just come be with him. I didn't have to, you know, do all these crazy things. I just had to come and say, God, I want to be with you. And when you hang out with God, when you get in the presence of God, it will change you guys. You won't need religion to tell you what to do. (laughs) You'll know what to do because you can't wait to be with him. You can't wait to experience the presence of God. It's a celebration. It's a party. So I'm challenging you, whoever you are today, come home. He's looking. He's waiting. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to thank you that you love us no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been. And we don't have to live a life of religion to have your approval. You've already given it with your son, Jesus Christ. And all we got to do is say yes. Father, I know there's some today listening watching and they're on the edge of their seat they didn't know that who you really was who you really were as a God was the God of love and acceptance and forgiveness I pray whoever they are wherever they are that you would begin to work in their hearts that you would just draw them home today And maybe you're watching, you want to receive Christ where you are, in your living room, in your car. Maybe here today on campus, you want to experience that relationship with Christ.
it's the best decision you'll ever make. And so I just want to give you a chance to do that. I'm, I'm just going to say this prayer. And if you would like to accept Christ today, wherever you are, I just want you to pray this with me, okay? Say, Father, I am a sinner. I'm the guy on the front row. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that you came and you died for me and you rose again and you demonstrated your love for me. I pray that you would come in my heart, change me, change my life. I want to come home. Thank you so much. And Father, I want to continue this prayer for the rest of us today. That we would go home and we would think about how we see you. Do we put you in a box of religion or do we understand who you really are? I pray that you, we would become Christians and disciples that wherever we go, people would see you and they would know there's something different. They would know the love of Christ is with us. I thank you so much. You are such a good father, a good, good father. If you were encouraged by today's message and made a decision to follow Jesus, be sure to let us know by connecting with us at marathonchurch.org. If you haven't already, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. To experience more messages, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at marathonchurch.org or download the Marathon Church app. Thanks for listening to the Marathon Church Podcast.